Well, you ever get deep into a project around the house or maybe on the car or something, and at some point you realize you have no business doing what you're doing? Like you're in way over your head. This has happened to me a number of times uh, when working on my car. And, you know, I always watch the YouTube videos and say, I think I might be able to do that. I think I can do that. And then I allot like six times the amount it took the person in the video. Like the whole day, I'll be like, okay, I should be able to get it done in this day. And then I'll periodically come in the house to get a drink or whatever, and Jen will always say, so how's it going? And I'll be like, it's, it's, you know, it's got a lot of stuff out, and I'm just trying to figure out. So somewhere in between looking at my cell phone and the pictures I took, you know, of different parts underneath the car and stuff, and consulting the YouTube video, I start realizing i got to put all this back together, and I'm not positive I can do it right. Isn't it interesting how it's easier to take things apart than put them back together? Just about anyone can take things apart. It's putting them back together. That's why people go to school for this kind of thing, okay? When I have a project I need help with, I tend to hesitate to ask for help. Like, my first go-to is going to be Google, okay? And then if I actually need a human, I'm going to talk to my dad. I'm going to call him on the phone. And if I really get desperate, then I'm going to call a professional. <laughs> and you might be like, Mark, you should probably call a professional right away. Yes, I should. But there's something about it, you know? I just don't want to put people out. I don't want to be that guy who's inept at everything, who can't figure out how to do this particular task. And so I usually just call my dad because he doesn't judge me. He'll tell me what he knows, which is just enough to be dangerous, all right? But I know that anytime I call my dad, he will move heaven and earth to be able to help me. Whatever time it is, he'll answer my call. He'll walk me through it. And if he doesn't know, then I go back to Google or I ask somebody who really knows. Now, I'm blessed to have a dad like that. I know not everyone does. But when it comes to prayer, sometimes we approach God in the same way. We don't want to ask for help. We tend to think that we can do things on our own. And we don't really want to bother God with our requests. I mean, I got this. Like, I should be able to figure this out. And it's not to the point when we're in over our heads and we recognize, like, I'm in trouble, that we actually cry out to God and we pray. Luke 11 offers a different approach to prayer. And so as we open God's Word and we look at Luke 11, we're going to learn about prayer, and we're going to consider a couple things that show us the way that we're to pray. So would you follow along as I read Luke 11, verses 1 through 4, just right off the bat? Let's read that, and you'll recognize some of these verses probably. Luke 11, and I'll read verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. They're saying, teach us what it looks like to pray. And this is an excerpt from the Lord's Prayer. You recognize it from other passages. If you're like me, you've memorized it, so it was reading it was a little like weird because it was like well where's the other parts <laughs> this is part of it and Jesus is saying okay here's how you pray and he, and, he, and he illustrates it for him by praying 
But then he goes on to share a parable, a story, to really help drive the point home. This is what prayer is like. So let's keep reading Luke 11, verse 5 through 10. And I want you to consider that as he tells this parable, he says, which of you, or basically suppose you have, people reading are supposed to be the the subjects in this parable. So put yourself in the shoes of this person. That's what Jesus wants us to do. All right, verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So here Jesus is giving us an example, a parable, and it really teaches us to pray often and to pray boldly. Uh, In order to get the point across, he uses this very relatable story. Can you imagine being in this place where you got to go to your neighbor neighbor at midnight and ask for some food? Um, So just, you know, think about it in your home. What are you doing at midnight? Some of you are like, oh, I'm asleep. Some of you are like, I'm still watching something on TV. Everyone's got their different perspective, like different ways of uh, their evenings, but I can't imagine going to the door of my neighbor's house at midnight and knocking. (laughs) It like stresses me out to think about it. Because what happened is you just had some house guests come in. They just showed up at midnight. Now this could happen in Florida. Everyone wants to visit Florida and they want to stay with you. It's already happened to me. Not at midnight, but can you imagine? I mean, in our society, we would just be like, uh, it's midnight, like there's a hotel here. Let me give you, let me give you a couple places you can stay. You're not staying here. But I want you to understand that the first century was quite a bit different. In that time, it was expected for people to be hospitable. This was the only way, one of the only ways people could show tangible love was to house and feed guests. And so there was a high priority on this. In Near Eastern culture, not feeding or housing your guests was tantamount to slapping somebody in the face or keying their car, okay? Really disrespectful, like disrespectful to the highest order. Here's the problem. You don't have any food in the house at all. So how are you going to take care of these people? How are you going to give them a meal? They've been traveling all day. They're hungry. What are you to do? Now, where I live, I could throw a stone and hit a Wawa that's 24 hours, okay? So I can at least get a a $5 foot long and like chips and a Slurpee or something for them. But in this day, there's nothing. There's nothing open. There's no convenience store. There's no, you know what I mean? There's, it's different. So put yourself in this place. The only option you have is to go beg a neighbor. And this is what the person does. You have to be that guy, right? Who's annoyingly knocking on the door at midnight. Just think about how awkward this scenario is. Like the whole thing. The neighbor's in bed. Apparently his whole family's piled in bed. That's kind of awkward too, but... Um, This is the first century, and small uh, houses that were uh, owned by people who didn't have much means would be one room, and so everyone's kind of in one general location, and so this is not that uncommon. The point is, 
You're majorly disturbing this family if the guy gets up and rummages through his stuff and gives you what you need. So just picture yourself walking up to this house at midnight. A couple years ago, I had, um, we lived in a house and across the way was a neighbor who always had their stuff really uh, immaculate and the landscaping was really nice. It gave me goals. I never was going to get there, but like their stuff looked great. And uh, they laid some fresh sod, okay? They had a one area that the grass didn't grow. They laid some new sod and at like 8.30 or 9.30 at night, I can't remember which one, it was late, late, too late. My dog escapes the house and he runs. This is what he liked to do. And he runs over the sod into the backyard of this neighbor's house. And my daughter follows the dog. And so my daughter and my dog are in the backyard of this person's house. I know their schedule. They're asleep already. And so I got to go to the door and I have to ring the ring doorbell. And I have to just wait like, oh my goodness, he's going to come to the door. I got to apologize. Like this is so embarrassing. So I feel this guy's pain. Like you don't want to disturb somebody. Um, but this is where he is. And as we go through this parable, I want you to understand that Jesus is teaching us that we're supposed to learn something about prayer. And really what this is, is a stark contrast between the parable and prayer. So if you're taking notes and you're like me and you like to like compare things, you could put on one side like parable and on the other side you could put prayer. Because as we look at this, we're going to see ways in which prayer is very different from this parable, okay? So you look at this, and the first point I want you to understand is that prayer is not a burden. Prayer is not a burden. This neighbor is a burden right now. <laughs> he's bothering his friend. And we can tell he's annoyed just by the way he responds, right? He says, go away. I'm not going to come to the door. I can't come to the door. Everyone's sleeping, and um, he's annoyed. I would be too. You would be as well. Now, we're not sure how many knocks it took, but eventually it works. <laughs> the guy gets up and says, okay, I'll give you what you need. Now, when I was a preteen uh, and into my teenage years, I had a newspaper route. Some of you have no idea what that is, okay? There was this old video game. It was called Paperboy. Some of you have never played that either, okay? But basically what it meant was I got up at 4.30 in the morning and I rolled these newspapers and shoved them all in my baskets on my bike, and I rode around the neighborhood, and I threw papers and delivered them. But here's the thing with a paper route. You had to do your own collecting to get paid. So like once a month, I would go door to door to all the houses that I delivered, and I would knock on the door because I wanted them to pay me for the job I had been doing all month, okay? Now, you have to wonder about a business that requires children to knock on the door of strangers to ask for money, but this is the way it worked back then in the like 80s, okay, into the 90s, all right? And so I would go to every door and I would, you know, there's protocol for this. I would start like really courteous. I'd just light knock. No one comes to the door. Okay, a little harder knock. And then I'd be like, well, how hard can I knock before it's like really rude? Now, sometimes I would literally see people in there talking, doing stuff, and I'm knocking, and they are ignoring me. And I know what they're saying. Just, like, ignore him. He'll go away. <laughs> and I would get so frustrated. I'd be like, I want my money, right? Um, sometimes this is the way that prayer feels. Like, I'm knocking, and no one is coming to the door. No one is answering. Like, God, why aren't you answering me? Do you even hear me? Like, I've been praying, but it feels like you're not listening. Is God sick of our requests? Does he want us to just go away? He's not responding how I want him to. 
And so as we look at this parable, what we, what we really learn is that the way that this man is is so different than the way that God is. God is not there saying, go away. Like, just leave me alone, right? I'm resting. <laughs> God is way different than this. God is not burdened by prayer. God is never bothered. There is never a bad time for God. Think about this. Midnight is fine for God. And those of you who struggle to sleep throughout the night and have insomnia, this is good news, okay? God can hear you anytime, night, day, doesn't matter to him. There's never a bad time for God. So even though this neighbor is bothered, think about this. God isn't bothered. This is way different from the way God works. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, prayer isn't bothering God, bargaining with God, borrowing from God, or burdening God. See how he used all those Bs? That's good. True prayer is blessing God the Father because we love him, trust him, and know that he will meet our needs. Now consider a couple things about this man who went to bed, and this is how you start to see the contrast between the parable and prayer. He's in bed with his children. He's in this one-room house, so that tells us something. That tells us that he's not a man of great means. This person might only be slightly better off than the person asking for help, or maybe not at all, but he has some food. And so this is a contrast to God. God is not a poor individual. God is not somebody who doesn't have the means God is inexhaustibly rich. Whatever we could ask from God, he can deliver it. He can give it. There's never a time where he says, oh, don't have that. Sorry. God has everything. And so this is very different. This man is lower middle class or lower class. Not so with God. Also notice the man says, I cannot get up and give you anything. I just got the kids to sleep. Now, those of you with little kids, you understand this, right? Because you finally get the baby to sleep, and there's one cardinal rule. And the cardinal rule is don't wake the baby. Everyone knows this, right? Come on. Whatever you do, don't wake this baby because it took a while to get them to sleep. Like, he's, he's saying, go away. The kids are sleeping. Do you want to put the kids back to sleep? <laughs> it, it's, it, it, we get this idea. But he actually says, I cannot get up. I can't. And the word he uses shows he doesn't have the ability or the power. This is what he's saying. He's like, I can't, man. I can't get up. With God, there is never a lack of ability or power. Never. He always has the ability and the power to answer, to provide. We know this about God. Very different with the neighbor and the way that God is. And so we start to understand, okay, prayer is like this, but it's like this in the way that we're supposed to contrast it. No, God is always listening, always able, always ready. Because of this, there need not be shame or fear in approaching God. When you go to pray, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to fear. Is he, is he gonna be upset with me? Can he do anything about this? Because Does God really even do this kind of stuff? When I think of this parable, I put myself in the guy knocking on the door, and it makes me cringe. Like, I'd rather be the guy in bed than the guy knocking on the door. Super embarrassing. There have been some times where my kids have got this idea to make some money, right? And they're like, Dad, uh, it's probably because we just watched Shark Tank, you know, like the day before, and they're like, all right. And they're like, Dad, let's, can we do a lemonade stand? And I know, like, it's good for their, like, 
responsibility and like entrepreneurship and like counting money and all that stuff, but I'm like, no, because I don't want you to beg the neighbors and manipulate them into giving you money. So I'm always like one of those guys that's like, no, you can't do the lemonade stand. Because I just hate to be that guy, you know, to, to put people out, to make people feel uncomfortable. I don't know if you're like me, but that's the way that I am. That's why I find this one word that Jesus uses particularly striking. He uses the word in the ESV, it says impudence, impudence, which sounds like a made-up word. We don't really use that word anymore, impudence, but what it means is uh, it can be translated persistence, but most often it means no shame, no fear of disgrace, no self-respect, no dignity. (laughs) It's actually a really negative term in that day. Like, it's not something you complimented somebody with. You'd say, oh, that person, they have no shame. Or that person, they have no dignity, no self-respect. And so this is the word that God uses of the man who goes and asks, and he's teaching us about prayer. There's a sense of impropriety with the way he's asking. And at first blush, if you think about prayer, there is something that seems a little improper about coming into the throne room of God, the one God who made everything, and asking for something. There's something about that 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 seems a little inappropriate. Like, why can't I just go into God's presence and ask for stuff? And it would be completely inappropriate if it weren't for Jesus Christ and Him as mediator. Right? The Bible talks about how Jesus went and stood in our place and died on that cross so that we could have access to God. We once were enemies of God. We were alienated from him. Our sin was between us and God, but Jesus, he died on that cross so that if we trust in him and his name and what he did for us, then we have this access to the Father. And so we have this complete ability to come to him And we don't need to feel shame about it. We don't need to feel that it's inappropriate because he has made us his friend. He he has become our friend, the friend of sinners. And so you see what we have in this text is an argument from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if it's true that a person responds to this boldness and this insistence of a friend, then certainly God will respond to us as his friends. If I'm God's friend, then he hears me, and he's not bothered by me, but he wants me to talk to him. He wants me to come to him. So if God isn't burdened by prayer, then you or I shouldn't be burdened by prayer either. Prayer is not a burden. Prayer is part of the learning curve of discipleship. So I know whenever I've, you know, met with people and I've discipled individuals and we've talked about different things, one of the first hurdles seems to be prayer, right? Like, how do I pray? And I I feel uncomfortable praying, and it's always like, no, no, you pray, not me, right? Because you're learning, and it's, it makes you nervous to pray sometimes. You don't think you can do it right, and maybe this is where you are right now. You're just like, I'm learning about Jesus, but I'm not really ready for that prayer thing. I want you to know that's totally normal, and there's no shame in admitting that you're learning, and that you're not sure how to pray. Most people are petrified to pray in public, right? Like, I'll often be out and about, and I'll be asked to prayer. Somebody looks at me like, you got a degree in prayer, right? Like, can, can you take this one? You know, like, we want the pastor's prayer. And I get it. Like, what is a pastor doing with his life if he's not willing to pray on the spot, whatever? 
But every once in a while, somebody will say, you know what, you pray all the time, I got this. <laughs> and I think that's so cool when I hear somebody just pray like a raw, honest prayer to God. The sweetest prayers are prayers from the heart, right? Whether they come out of the mouth of a four-year-old or an ordained minister. Because what God really wants is your heart. It doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't really matter if it's polished. And here's a quote I like about prayer. There's no shame in not knowing how to pray or feeling uncomfortable in prayer. There's only shame if we don't ask to be taught and as a, and as a result spend years of our Christian lives in an ineffective prayer. Now that's a, a very encouraging quote and also a challenging quote to me. Right? Like we need to just... Um, just admit that we're learning. Like, admit that I, I'm not an expert in prayer. <laughs> I'm, I'm figuring it out. Now, I take comfort in this. I hope you do too. I take comfort in knowing that the guys who walked closest to Jesus, the disciples, like the ones who saw Jesus every day, who heard Jesus pray, they had to say, hey, teach us how to pray. They didn't know how to pray. And these are the guys that are walking with Jesus every single day. So you know what? It's okay for us to admit that we're learning and we don't know how to pray. And so one of the lessons that Jesus wants us to learn about prayer, because remember, this parable was given to us to teach us about prayer, because the disciples have asked for that. One of the lessons that we learn is that we don't have to formulate our words in an exact way. We should approach God without thought for our dignity. If you learn anything from this parable, it's we can come to God, we don't have to worry about our dignity, we can just come to him anytime with anything, no matter how we feel or we're uncomfortable. It is only the dignity of God that we must acknowledge, not our dignity. If we consider the context of our text here this morning, we see in verse 2 the Lord's Prayer. You're familiar with, with this. Uh, we've seen other places. And the Lord's Prayer does give us some guidelines, like how, how do you pray? Well, prayer starts with recognizing that our Father's name is holy, right? Hollowed, it says. Holy. So here's the thing. Our view of him must be high and lofty, and it must be recognizing he's great. Our view of ourself should not be high and lofty and think that we're great. See, what we're doing is we're recognizing he's the one who's holy, not me. We should be so focused on him that we forget about ourselves, that we're just thinking about God. If you keep your finger here and you flip over a couple chapters, several chapters to Luke 18, Luke 18 has a beautiful parable about prayer as well, and it's about even more than prayer, but in Luke 18 verse 9 and follow, I'm going to read this, follow along, it's the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, if you, if you don't know, Pharisees were religious leaders. They were like the pastors of the day, and then a tax collector was a Jew who basically was a sellout and was making money to help the Romans, and so everyone was like, oh, tax collectors, they're the worst, like, so they're sinners, okay? So verse 9, it says this, he, as Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, 
would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The prayer that God hears is the one that comes from someone so impressed with him that they're no longer impressed with themselves. They just see God. Maybe the reason that we struggle to pray is the same reason that I struggle to dance, okay? Because I think about myself too highly. People say, Mark, it's easy to dance, just don't care. <laughs> I'm like, but I care. <laughs> and I think sometimes we're so overthinking I got to make sure I pray with the right words and God might not hear it. And what are people going to think? And we're just thinking about ourselves instead of thinking about God. Letting go and praying. You could practice this. Uh, you know, every Sunday morning before first gathering, uh, we gather at 825. And you could come one week if you're going to come to first gathering and pray with us at 825. And, uh, or you could come on the second Tuesday of the month when we have prayer meeting. And it's a good opportunity to just kind of like practice prayer and stretch those muscles. And, you know, maybe you just listen to some other people pray for a little bit. But don't overthink it and just think to yourself, man, these people know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. We're supposed to just think more about God, so much about God that no longer am I thinking about myself. I just want to talk to him because I recognize that's all he really wants. Maybe you've been praying for a while and the prospect of praying isn't burdensome to you, but the repetition is starting to feel like a burden. Like you've prayed for some of the same things for months or years or some of you decades. And you're like, man, how many times have you looked at your prayer list and you think, I need to pray for this request again? Like, I've prayed for this so many times. I'm getting tired of praying for the same things. And so prayer can be one of those things that we skip over because it doesn't seem really productive. What is it doing anyway? Like, I might as well get something done around the house or get something done for work because we're tired of praying the same things. And so we look at prayer the same way that I looked at collecting for my paper route. It's like, okay, here we go again. Every once in a while, the door will open and I'll get something good. But a lot of times, I'll just walk away empty. So here we go. I'll try again. Prayer is not a burden. Second, I want you to see this morning, prayer is an invitation. Prayer is an invitation. Jesus invites us to pray. He actually invites you and invites me to pray. Notice the words in verse 9 that he uses. He says, and I tell you, ask, seek, knock. Those are the three words that he uses. Now, this open invitation is interesting. It, it sure seems like a prescription, right? Like a sure thing. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And if you've been praying for any length of time, you know it doesn't seem to work this way. You're like, you told me to ask and that it would be given. We're pretty familiar with this statement um, of Jesus about ask and seek and knock. We see it other places. But we find something interesting when we pair it with this parable. Because remember, it's the man's impudence, his shameless tenacity that, that causes the answer and that is rewarded. So maybe an even clearer way of saying this and true to the text is this. Ask, seek, knock, repeat. Right? Ask, seek, knock, repeat. I mean, Jesus uses three words to explain the quest of prayer. Ask, seek, 
and knock. Just kind of emphasizing the, the, the importance of repeatedly coming to the Lord. And if you're to look at these words, all three of them are in this present, active, continuous tense, meaning that you're supposed to always be doing it. Not just a one-time thing. Ask one time, and boom, it's given to you. No, the word ask is in the continuous tense. So keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. So that helps us understand why I asked and it didn't happen. So what, what are we supposed to do with that, God? Well, it's this, it's this action that continues and continues. Why should we keep praying like this? Why should we be so persistent? Again, we're contrasting the parable and the prayer. Is it because we're just going to wear God down? Maybe he'll get tired of me asking and he'll just give me what I want. Is that what it is? No, quite the opposite. The reason that he wants us to keep coming to him is because every time we pray, God smiles. Every time that we ask, he loves to hear us ask. He loves to see us seek and he loves the sound of our knocking. After all, he's our father, and it's this fatherly aspect of his character that, that we see in this text. Verse 2, when he's teaching the disciples, he says to say, Father, God is our father. And then if you look at verse 11 through 13 here in the text, we didn't read this yet, but I'm going to do that now. Another tiny little parable when Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He says, what father among you? And he calls God the Heavenly Father. Now, some of you had a father who couldn't be bothered, who you were nervous to talk to or didn't think you could ask what you needed for. Not so with God. God says, you can come to me. Our God is willing and he is able to hear our prayers. If you're a parent, you know your heart for your children, right? You'll do just about anything to help them, to provide for them. Most fathers are that way. And again, like the parable of the annoying friend, this is an argument from lesser to greater. If a friend will answer your request because you keep asking, how much more will your heavenly father? He's your father. He loves you. He delights in talking with you. Because of the shed blood of Christ, we are welcomed into God's family. If we put our trust in Jesus Christ, then God adopts us as his sons, as his daughters. We're in the family of God. And because we have this familial relationship where he's our father and we, we are his child, he wants to hear from us. He loves in being with us. And so we should come to God in a shamelessly bold way. Somebody between services told me, yeah, like when your kid's really little, they just keep asking, hey, can I have that now? Can I have that now? Can I have that now? And you're like, no, not yet. No, no. And you, just, you know what it's like if you have little kids. Um, it's just, it's like, stop. Like, stop asking me. <laughs> but they, they're like, why wouldn't you give this to me? You love me, you know? And so this is how it is with God. He's our Father, and He wants us to come to Him in a shamelessly bold way. And the real reason that the Father wants us to pray is because He wants our heart. He wants to hear from our heart. He values persistent pursuit of Him. Because what our repetitious coming to Him says is, God, I still trust You. I still need You. I still think that You can do something. You haven't said yes yet, but I'm coming to you again because I believe you can do it. 
I know you have the power. I know you have what it takes. So I'm coming to you again. He loves and he delights in seeing that faith that we have. Now this is really important to understand. God knows that we will learn something in the persistence of prayer that we would never learn if when we asked, it was like that. If you asked for something from God and immediately he gave it to you exactly what you wanted, exactly how you wanted it, the first time, God would not be like your father. He'd be like a magic genie, right? And you're like, that sounds kind of nice. But it's not the same as growing in your dependence and your relationship with the Father. God knows that we need to be persistent in prayer. Prayer isn't about us. It's about God. It's about the pursuit of Him. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will reward you if you keep seeking him and you keep asking him? Now, it might not be the reward that you expected. It might not be the thing you asked for. But he promises us, and we need to believe that he will reward us if we seek him. And so part of that is even just receiving God. He's the reward that we, that we receive when we come to him again and again as a child asking for his help. Now, if we get this, we're going to be motivated to pray, not because we're hoping to get the thing we're asking for, but rather because we know that in the asking, he's doing something in us. He's, he's, he's stretching us. He's growing us. He's making us more like Jesus. And this is going to motivate us to not just pray quick, paltry prayers about what we might need, but rather longer, deeper, emotional prayers because we recognize God is doing something in me. Shameless prayers, Right? All right, so wrapping it up, I, wanna, I want you to understand, like, what does this look like? This kind of prayer that we see in Luke 11 in this parable, what could this possibly look like in your life right now? Well, maybe it's this. Maybe it's praying daily for your kids, for their heart, for their faith, even if some of you have children who have denounced their faith after many years. Praying every day, God, it's me again. <laughs> I'm coming to you again, praying for my child. I can't change their heart. You know I would if I could, but you can. Every day praying those kind of prayers, that persistence. Or maybe it's this, the praying of the salvation, for the salvation of somebody that you know and love. And you've prayed a hundred times, but you're praying again, saying, God, I'm asking you to work in their heart. Would you show them how beautiful Jesus is? Maybe it's praying for someone you know who has cancer or a life-destroying disease. And just praying for healing, knowing God is able to do it. And he's going to heal them one way or the other. He's either going to give them a new body one day or he's going to heal them on this earth and he can do that. So it's that continual prayer. Here's one. What about the prayer for your own sanctification? For those areas of your heart and your life that you are like, you know that you need to relinquish and give to Jesus, but you struggle to do so. And you keep coming to God with the same prayers for the same struggle and you're like, what is the point? I thought I would be like perfect by now. <laughs> With as many times as I've prayed, I should be. But you know, you just keep coming to the Father and you persistently, boldly pray. Sometimes we get bored with those kind of prayers. And I want to encourage you, if you're the kind of person that's gotten bored with your prayers, one way to really uh, spice up your prayers, and I think, I know God designed it this way, is to use this to pray. There's a guy named Donald Whitney and he has a couple books and he says the cure for boring prayer is to pray the scriptures. 
So I was trying that this week. You know, I, I came upon Psalm 51, and I just decided to use that as a template for my own prayer, for my um, growing in Christ and being more like Jesus. And it's, it's really powerful, and it's creative. And it's like he's given us a whole lot of prayers in here, <laughs> and he's given us uh, thick passages of Scripture that aren't a prayer, but it will inspire us to pray. So I want to encourage you this week, grab your Bible and pray with your Bible, all right? So closing here, um, I ask you this. How do you need to be more like the impudent neighbor? Do you need to be bolder? Pray bolder prayers? Do you need to start praying for something that you stopped praying for because you prayed too many times? Do you need to ask God to change your mind about him? To see him as father and not just the, the neighbor that is being bothered. This is an open invitation that God's given us. An open invitation. What are we waiting for? Father, thank you so much for your grace. We need it so much. Lord, teach us how to come to you right away when that temptation comes. Or when that trial comes, may we not wait till we're way in over our head. May we just have communion with you and talk to you. Lord, thank you that you're our Father and that you delight every time we come to you, even with something we've prayed a thousand times for. Lord, teach us how to pray. And may you receive all the glory through this. In Jesus' name, amen.